0: Well, Makers friends, the September dinner at the Lexington was such a hit, we decided to keep it going for October. We're hosting another Makers of Minnesota dinner at the Lexington in St. Paul. Not only will you be front and center with some of the best makers in the Twin Cities, but you will be treated to a three-course dinner, compliments of Chef Antonio from the Lexington, who will be using the featured Makers ingredients in the courses that he's making for this special event. Our October dinner is Tuesday, October twenty-six, and tickets are $98. Our featured makers are so fun, including Sweetland Orchard out of Webster, Minnesota, who's making beautiful ciders, apple ciders, and hard ciders at their orchard with over 50 varieties of apples. And also on deck is the humble goat cheese made by the folks at the award-winning Stickney Hill Dairy Company and K-Mama sauce, the slightly spicy and slightly sweet K-Mama Korean hot sauce. I'm just crazy about this sauce, and my friend and maker Casey calls it the Korean ketchup He puts it on everything at his house, and I do too, and it's featured in the first ever Makers of Minnesota holiday box filled with my favorite products from Makers in the Twin Cities. So we'll be taking orders for the boxes on site at the Lex 2, which I'm excited about. I just can't wait to see how Chef Antonio We'll use all these ingredients in his multi-course menu. We'll have a limited number of tickets for this special dinner. And when they're gone, they're gone. So go to thelexmn.com and sign up via Eventbrite for the Makers of Minnesota dinner for October. Get your tickets now at thelexmn.com for Tuesday, October 26th at the Lexington. Hi, this is Stephanie Hansen and you are listening to the Makers of Minnesota podcast where we talk to cool people doing cool things. And you might have heard about a festival that was happening. I think it was a week or so ago up in Duluth. It was called Catalyst and it was a production festival, film festival, content creator festival and I saw some stuff on social media about it and I was interested. And then I saw my friend Lynn Melling posted something about it. And Lynn and her husband, Ian Planchon, have a business that is called 515 Productions. And you guys posted that you were involved with this and I needed to know more. I was like, what are they doing production-wise? Lynn, I know you as a podcaster Having a, been a guest on your program, we do this for fun. Lynn, let's just, I want to kind of roll back a second. You and I were connected through my stepdad and your mom a while back, and you were looking to move to the Twin Cities and wanted to kind of grow. So, was that when you guys started 515 Productions, or Ian, had you already started it?
1: He actually started it years and years and years ago, um, back in 2016 or 20, 2006. Yeah. Wow. I'm really dating myself. Um, so yeah, we met working in TV news up in Anchorage, Alaska, and then, um, moved. I wanted to get closer to home because my family's all here in Minnesota. So we were in Des Moines. I got a job there and that's where he decided to leave TV news way earlier than I ever figured out that I needed to leave TV news. So he left and started a video production business. It's um, 515 after the area code of Des Moines or Central Iowa to 515 Productions. So that was in 2006. And I kind of, I worked behind the scenes a little bit here and there on projects and really fell in love with the marketing, advertising, content creator, brand content side of things. But yeah, he really built it though. I was kind of in the background and he built it. So yeah, 15 years over the course of 15 years.
2: Yeah.
0: Ian, were you a cameraman at a news station?
2: I was, yeah. I started out in the studio side running uh, um, studio cameras, which is when I met Met Lynn because she was a reporter there at the time. And then uh, I went to film school um, because I really wanted to learn how to make uh, ski movies shooting with film cameras. Uh, But at that time, by the time I got to film school, they had just transitioned out of film and into digital. So I missed the film world by about a year. And so, yeah, I learned how to use digital cameras that were all the rage back then. And it's kind of been my thing ever since.
0: Who's the famous ski film guy?
2: Which one? There's Warren Miller is kind yeah, of yeah, like that's the one I'm thinking of. You know. Yeah. So yeah. you
0: wanted to be your own like Warren Miller. Did the move from film to digital coincide with the Apple and the iPhone and the film products? I was
2: long before that, I believe. I mean they had uh I remember it actually pretty well when when I was in film school, the iPod with the touch wheel. Yeah. That was their newest invention, but iPhone wasn't on, on our radar yet. i um, you know, I'm sure it was on their radar, but not, not out to us yet.
0: We're kind of in a weird space too. Both you guys have experience in digital creation and audio creation because for the longest time you couldn't produce these types of products unless you'd been to film school or unless you had a, you know, full production studio And with radio, you know, you couldn't just start a radio show and you couldn't podcast because you didn't have a board and all the stuff. And it's really with the advent of technology, you know, there's varying grades of quality for sure. You're not going to get a highly produced movie necessarily on your phone, but it's commoditized a lot of that to make it sort of at the hands of everybody. Has Mm -hmm. that been beneficial for your business or does that scare you as you move into the future?
2: No, it doesn't scare us. It, it has benefited us. Um, the, the story we like to tell is our creation story. When I decided I was going to quit news and start our company at that time, the only cameras that were in, in my head that we had worked with up until that date were hundred thousand dollars. And so you had to get a loan for $100,000, buy these cameras that were already massively outdated, but they're industry standard. And you know, so you're in debt up to your eyeballs right off the bat. My dad was very stressed about it. He lived in Portland, uh, lives in Portland when we were making this change. And so he was like, there has to be a better way. And he used uh, Craigslist, oddly enough, to find someone in Portland who was a freelance camera guy and ask them, is this what you need to do? And that guy was like, absolutely not. Because apparently there was a whole new wave of cameras I hadn't learned about yet. And so he stopped us from spending $100,000. We spent $12,000 instead. And uh, that's the first camera we ever bought. Now, technology still, for the best of the best, it's going to cost an arm and a leg. But the cheaper stuff, like you mentioned, your phone is still an amazing way to learn how to do these things, because there's technical aspects, you know, and there's certain rules you have to learn before you can break those rules. And you can learn all that stuff using your phone as a camera. And so for our business, I don't think cheaper cameras have hurt us because there's still really high end stuff that we can access. But it's also, there's also these smaller form factor cameras that are amazing. They can get us into smaller places and get us creative angles and all these things that we can do. And that stuff didn't exist 20 years ago, you
1: know, Our drones,
2: drones, another thing you used to have to spend 20 grand a day to have a helicopter flying around with your camera mounted to it, you know, but now you, you 1500 bucks and you got a drone for life. <laughs> yeah.
0: And you know, you, when you're out skiing and you see these guys with their GoPro helmets on, uh-huh. it always kind of cracks me up. Cause I think. Do they actually, like, go home after a day of skiing and watch that? <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> like, it'd be so boring. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, but, you know, it's funny, like, the to get kind of in, the, not to jump ahead too much, but the content sharing and creation side of it, GoPro created just an amazing, amazing world around their camera in the content sharing side of it. Um, and they came up with a whole a whole award program where for a calendar year people would submit their best clips from their skiing their biking their swimming whatever and then at the end of the year GoPro would award them with a certain dollar amount I can't remember what it is and so yeah these people are out there capturing all this content because they want to submit for GoPro now you know and it's like you got to buy the best GoPro now because you need the better image so you can get in this award and win it it's it's really cool
0: so, When you guys decided to work together, so Lynn, you are like, okay, I'm going to take this leap. Mm -hmm. I'm going to work with my husband. Did you decide to delineate roles or how hard of a decision was that to make? Because- I worked with my husband for a long time. In some ways, it was the worst thing we ever did, and in other ways, it was the greatest.
1: Yeah, no, I'd say we are definitely learning a new communication style um, <laughs> and learning to divide. You know, when we have a conversation about business versus a conversation about our family, for instance. But um, we we complement each other very much in um, in a lot of ways. It, it's very much. If you want to take it back to our TV news days, I was the reporter, he was the photographer, and it's still very much that way. He knows all the things about the cameras, and he has really great creative ideas. He's always got really interesting ideas about new ways, new angles, new stories, new ways to tell things and show things. And I'm more of the nuts and bolts producer Um, you know, how do we make this happen, looking at editorial calendars and figuring out how it strategically fits into a brand's overall more calm strategy, for example. So yeah, we don't really step on each other's toes too much. We certainly disagree sometimes on, I sometimes overextend us a little Mm bit, whereas he values going off the grid, going to the boundary waters and leaving our phones behind. So that's kind of a balance, but um, for the most part, it's been a great move.
0: So what, like how much of the work is creative film work and how much of the work is like brand production film work? Because I imagine that that's what pays the bills, but what is fun is probably the other side. And how do you balance?
2: Right. Um, When, when I started the company um, I, I knew I wanted it to be a little bit different than the standard production company. We wanted to focus solely on like sports and action sports and things like that. We're well, not, not like football and baseball, but action sports. So mountain biking, I wanted to get back to why I went to film school. That was the plan. Um, and so I think for the first 10 years, we were actually pretty good at that. And we did, we did a couple of movies with some of our, our favorite production companies. We partnered up with them. We did a bunch of Red Bull stuff with them. But like you said, The corporate world, the branded content world, there's way more money there. And at some point, you do have to realize that with a family to support and to convince Lynn to come over, I had to show (laughs) her we could actually make some money. And so it was okay, let's start trying to get some corporate clients and do some of that. Um, And so I'd say back in the day, it was probably like, 70% was the creative fun stuff and now it's like 10%, 20%. But
1: I'd I'd say though, to add to that, that there are so many more opportunities. I think brands are really opening their eyes and realizing that if you want to create compelling content that, that the target audience is actually going to pay attention to, you have to get creative and you have to think outside the box. So we've been able to apply a lot of what Ian's background, you know, that the creative side of it and, and brands, corporate brands, um, Want that for there to tell their stories. So that's been a fun. I think the the storytelling aspect of, of corporate videos has really um, improved in the last I don't know few years, um, and uh, brands are willing to take risks more so than they used to be, um, which is which is fun and helps them stand out. It helps differentiate them when they can tell their own authentic story. So,
0: so how did this dovetail into Catalyst and? I wasn't sure, like, did you guys submit a film and is that how you got involved? And I thought it was really fascinating that they were having this production film content creation event in Duluth, Minnesota, which is not known for being a mecca of film necessarily. And also, I know Minnesota Film Board has reinstated this money that will go towards people that create film here. And it's been I mean, i was I remember when we had that film money and we got films like Grumpy old Men. and then it was like a dearth, and nobody would film anything here because places like Canada and all these other places offered all these incentives. But is that like how Duluth got involved, or how did you guys end up in Duluth? Uh,
2: so to to dovetail it in, we were doing all this corporate stuff, and we realized we wanted to do something we hadn't done something really fun in a long time. And so, we were coming back from Grand Marais. Actually, we were driving through Duluth and we happened to notice these surfers in the lake.
1: We, to preface, we love Lake Superior. <laughs> we love the North Shore. We're obsessed with it. We go there <laughs> any chance we get. So, um, Anyway,
0: to continue, it's a great spot. Yeah, it is, and the it surfers is. are crazy out there. Yes, exactly. Right? Yeah,
2: and so that to me, it was like, man, that that's our heritage right there, and we need to do something creative. So we said we're going to try and do something with these surfers, um, and so we started shooting the project in 2019, not really knowing what it was going to be. COVID stopped it, and that's a blessing and a curse. But during during the pause. We started sussing out a few more storylines that were in there that we knew about. And one of them was a very science-based portion of it. The health of the lake is something that is dwindling a little bit. And it's got some people concerned, largely uh, a program called the Large Lakes Observatory, which is with the University of Minnesota Duluth. And so we we had been trying to conduct interviews with that group and with some representatives of Duluth. And they said, this project you're working on has to get into Catalyst because it is a Duluth-based film uh, series comp- festival, and your project fits it perfectly. And so that was, that was our introduction to Catalyst. And, and so we entered, uh, we scrambled, and we cut a short version of our documentary into a 20-minute series-based episode, and then entered it, and it was accepted.
0: That's so exciting. And Catalyst always happens in Duluth?
2: It's new to Duluth. I think 2019 was its first year, Um, but it used to be a different festival called ITV, and that was based in L.A., and then one of the helpers for the festival, he uh, grabbed the baton and took it over and then moved it to Vermont, and he just wasn't finding the traction he was hoping for in Vermont, and so he apparently the story goes he drove all over the country looking for the next best place Ended up in Minneapolis and he was like, Yeah, I mean it's okay. It's got a great feeling, but it's not quite what we're looking for. And somebody said, Hey, go to Duluth. And so he drove up to Duluth and he was yeah, this is it. It's home.
1: Got, you know, you've got this ocean in the background. You've got small towns, you've got big a city feel, you've got forests. So there's a lot of opportunities for film crews to to shoot in Duluth but it could be any city it could be on the Mediterranean if it's a sunny day you know it could be anywhere so I think that was a big reason why Duluth drew him there
0: yeah I I remember the first time I went sailing in Duluth and someone called it the Caribbean of the North and I was like (laughs) sure it is but then I got out there and I was literally you know out In the I think we were on an island and we had we were moored and I'm looking about 30 feet down into the water and I can see the bottom. Mm -hmm. And I was like, wow, this really kind of is like the Caribbean. Once you get off the shore and you just explore the lake, it's so varied and so fascinating and such a gigantic lake and huge and all the stuff you said about it. It's so cool that it's right in our backyard, but also like other water, large bodies of water and water in general threatened. So yeah. I'm glad that you're able to bring attention to that. Um, the movie that you are, is your movie done or is just the clip done? Cause it's called Freshwater, right?
2: It's called Freshwater. We have 23 minutes of it, but like you said, that was for this, this festival alone. We're actually, um, we just got the word yesterday. We're getting on the Blue Heron, which is the research vessel for the University of Minnesota Duluth. And we're going out tomorrow with them to capture more of this science uh, part of this story, um, and that's that scene is the last scene we really need to complete this. So we're we're actually pretty excited to be yeah. done cool. shooting it. And
1: then, and then <laughs> our plan is to pull it into a feature length film, so about sixty minutes or so. And then we'd like our, our plan is to premiere it in Duluth in February, because who doesn't want to go to Duluth in February? have a, have a premiere party, invite the cast and the crew, and then um, turn it into a fundraiser for the Large Lakes Observatory, because they're really charged with studying this lake and and keeping it safe and protecting it. So um, all proceeds will go to the Large Lakes Observatory. We're, we're looking for, we have some corporate sponsors who are interested in, you know, helping fund this. So um, if anyone out there listening would like (laughs) to participate, we're happy to connect with you. Again, every proceed, every dime that we get will go Back to the Large Lakes Observatory um, just to continue to help with research for the lake.
0: And then you have to bring it in the fall, in October, to the Twin Cities Film Festival. Yes, that is absolutely the plan. Yep, that will
1: be happening. Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, that's a great festival, and I've been a part of it and looking forward to It's coming up in a couple weeks here. Can, how do, so I'm a small business, right? And I, everyone could use some video content. It's really hard to understand as a business person, like what type of content you need. And everybody's like, well, I can do that on my phone. Like, I don't know. Like, how do you decide when to invest in this type of a resource to get videos for your business?
2: I mean, for us, I think the answer is you should always invest in video. I think that's always <laughs> the bottom line. We're never gonna say you shouldn't invest. Um, but I think. I that I think it's a personal question for each business right and we will like I guess our role is to connect with businesses and and if they have a question about videos and do we need video we like to play that role of let's take a look at your business let's see what you're missing and then let's come up with an idea to tell your story in a way that will help you um and and sometimes regrettably the answer is not video it's a blog or some sort of story that's being written about them and sent out you know cuz print still exists and it's a good medium still, you know? Um, and, but I mean, there, I, I feel like there's always an opportunity to tell a story with video, but sometimes, sometimes you can save some money and do it, you know, a different way.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And-, and there's all kinds of different scales. You know, if you're shooting, you know, we've shot, Commercials, you know, televised commercials that need to be shot on the, you know, the most expensive of cameras with, you know, a fifteen-person crew, and then, but not every, not every shoot is going to be like a Super Bowl ad, right? So you have to figure out, you know, and and we like to also play the role of helping consult and recommend, and um, we're not all things to all people, but we're happy to help um, point people in the right direction and, and make sure that they get. Um, that they invest their dollars wisely because um, we we believe that if everyone does get on board the video train and has a good experience with it, that benefits everybody in the film and video industry.
0: I think too, there's like two schools of thought, I think with video, like one client I had wanted to do some recipe videos and they got some estimates and it was like three to $5,000 for a 20 second video with basically Mm -hmm. hands making a salad. Mm-hmm. And they were just blown away by how expensive it was. They were like, "Oh my gosh!" So then they did the exact reverse, and you know, did it on their phone and had their nephew edit it in iMovie. And it 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 was all right, but it wasn't awesome. Is there like a small, medium, and large situation? So if you're exploring video and you maybe want to have some video for TikTok or something of that nature. What do small businesses do? Because that's or businesses do not even small, you know, most of us don't have the resources to go out and hire a full scale production company. And we probably can't get there unless we've had some smaller situations first to see the value of that, right?
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I think in that sense, we actually just had a phone call about this uh, pretty recently. And like Lynn said, we do like to try and help as much as possible, because we don't want to be like, hey, sorry, I can't help you hang up the phone. and so. The there is an investment in video. There always will be an investment in video because you're asking someone to spend their time on your project, right? And they most of the time they don't have a personal investment in your project. Um, you're also investing in their experience level and the equipment they've purchased. And so, I, in in our mind, there's really no way to get around the cost of it. Like three to five thousand dollars for us seems like an accurate amount for what you're looking for, as long as you want it good. I guess where the, the, the break point is, is what is your expectation of quality and what is your expectation of professionalism, right? And so if you're saying, I want it to be good, but it's okay if this person's still in film school and still learning this stuff, right? They're going to be cheaper and they're going to be eager. Um, and that's a great option. But if you're like, well, I want them to be a production company and be professional and you know have a crew show up, that's your that's the breaking point. They're going to be expensive. So for us, we, we recommended, you know, find someone who's just getting their start and, and reach out to them. Yeah. Instagram's a great place for that, you know, cause you can, you can cruise around and find someone who's, who's showing off their videos and they're like, Hey man, I'm just getting started, but this is what I've been shooting. And they're like, that looks really good. We could use something like that to help each other. And then, you know, there will come a time where that person that's been working with you is going to get expensive and then you might not be able to afford them again, but at yeah. least you can start and you have something to show for it.
1: Yeah. And that's a good option for small businesses, but there are brands, you know, out there that their aesthetic is, is high end, high quality. Um, so that's really where those like the big budget um, shoots come in. But yeah, for a small business owner who's looking for some social media content, for example, um, yeah, what Ian was describing is is a good avenue.
0: I wish there was like a way that you could have and you're going to roll your eyes when I say this, but like (laughs) you guys could mentor like six to eight people and they could be like that smaller end of the business. So they'd get your mentorship, but we could afford them, but then they could move up into, because (sighs) I do think once you've had a video or once you felt the power of video or the power of film, There's just no way to go back and quantify that experience. Film transports you in a way that most mediums can't. And so what is the price on that? Depending on what you're trying to achieve, it's priceless, right? Yeah. And
1: we're always open to like, you know, cause that's, so, that's how we got our start. We are always open to people reaching out who, you know, looking for advice and guidance, mentorship. Um, we really believe in paying it forward because that's how we got to where we are. And, um, and you never know where the next Cohen brothers are going to come from. Right? right. Like, you know, we're, you just, so we're always happy, um, to, to offer guidance and and suggestions and mentorship
0: where, whenever we can um uh, my husband's father was an investor in the first coen brothers movie. Oh really? Um, yeah, and you know, just to hear that story about like, you know, these two little Jewish kids from St. Louis Park yeah. <laughs> and how like they were just kind of weirdos and yet they kind of had something is pretty a, a pretty funny story. When you when you think about brands How do you connect with them? Like, are you the salesperson, Lynn, or do people come to you? Like, I imagine you guys are pretty new to town that you're always on the hustle.
1: One of my passions is networking and coffee and happy hour. And that's, I love that. So that's, um, kind of my my quote unquote job now is to, but yeah, just meet with people and um, find out where their pain points are. Um, For the most part, yeah, most of we have, um, we get a lot of our um, business from um, Google, just, you know, SEO um, search engine. But um, what I'm finding is with my role here now is really, really trying to be an advisor and helping people understand how to use content strategically and effectively and efficiently. So if you're going to go spend 20 grand on a video shoot, you know, how can you use that video that you're shooting in a bunch of different ways? How can could you rip the video and turn it into a podcast? Could you turn that podcast then into a blog? Could you turn right. that blog into a thought leadership piece that you send out to a trade pub? You know, so I think that's the what I'm looking at my role as being is really helping people understand how all of these content dots get connected. And yeah, and video is, you know, the medium that we love, but there's lots of like Ian said, there's lots of other ways to do that. And I have I'm kind of a mutt. I have a lot of different experience from, you know, the TV news world, from the PR world. I was recently, you know, corporate communications manager. So I draw from a lot of experiences and I really find joy in putting the pieces of that puzzle together um, and helping because not a lot of folks in MarCom, corporate MarCom, understand necessarily how to put right. those pieces right. together. A lot of people are working in separate silos, creating duplicative content next to each other all day, not even realizing like, Hey, we could just rather than making two pieces of content, we could make one, save everybody some time. It's more cohesive, more holistic. Um, It
0: is, it is funny. You know, I do some social media for folks and they have so much content, but they're constantly on this churn for making content. And I'm like, wait, just wait a second. Don't you? Didn't you just publish a blog over on LinkedIn? Like awesome. that's 10 posts if we do it right. You know, like it's exactly. if you only want to have one thoughtful piece of content a month that you can produce and that works in your lifestyle with your business. Give that to me and I'll turn it into lots of things. Yeah. Yep. People Absolutely. just feel like it always has to be like this new churning exactly.
1: beat. Yes. And I just can that drives me crazy because content can be used in so many different ways. And it can and honestly, like who has ever offended when they see a piece of content twice? I mean, we listen to the same songs over and over and over again. We watch the same movies over again, at least I do. We watch The Office. I mean, we've watched the like <laughs> this, you know, the Office series. Like, I think we're on our third time, like people don't get sick of watching really great content. So don't be afraid to put it out there more than once, because chances are, people liked it the first time around, they're going to like seeing it again.
0: Yeah, that's a really good point of view. Ian, this is a totally random question. But as someone who's been on the TV side, I just die when I look at the camera people with the cameras on their shoulders. <laughs> like, do you have like a horrible back from hoisting those around all the time?
2: Uh, no, I think, um, you just kind of get used to it. it. It is what it is. You know, that that's the career we chose. And so you can't really complain about it too much. I will say though, that as I, I've advanced in my career a little bit I've started investing more in having assistants who take the camera off my shoulder as soon as I'm done rolling yep and that's really nice you know so so I'm not always holding it there and I can just hand it to someone that I can take care of it for me yeah
0: and just the ergonomics of the whole camera holding you yeah. know that's yeah. a weird question but I'm constantly looking at these cameramen thinking oh my gosh they must have such back problems. (laughs) Yeah.
2: They, you know, cameras have changed so much. Like when I was in the news world, they were pretty well balanced. And so it really wasn't too bad. And then they started making them really small. And so your hands shift forward. And so, yeah, then, then, then your back started hurting a little bit, but since then, they've come up with new uh, shoulder mounts you can adapt to your cameras, and they've they've addressed that issue pretty well. It seems like.
0: All right, fine. I'm glad that you have. <laughs> All, right. All right. So, if people want to get a hold of you, if they want to start the conversation about how to incorporate video or possibly a film project. How do they do that?
2: Uh, I mean, you can Google 515 Productions. You can go to 515productions.com or you can just email Ian at 515productions or Lynn at 515productions.com.
1: All right, guys. Yeah, Yeah. happy to talk to anybody who's interested. So, and thank you so much for, you know, talking with us. This has been fun.
0: Super fun to hear more about this world. I've always loved film and I've been usually on the fundraising side of helping people get more money for film. But I'm glad that the Twin Cities is kind of back in the game, as it were. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. You and guys be on the forefront.
1: And quick side note, if anybody does want to watch the freshwater film, um, it is on our website. So five hundred and fifteen productions.com. There's a little tab that says our films and you can watch the 20 minute version that was entered into Catalyst. And um, so it's just right there. You can watch it
0: from your couch. And it's pretty great to support to support and champion Lake Superior because absolutely <laughs> a beautiful, beautiful beast. All right, Thank guys. You. Thanks. Thank, Thank you, you so, so much. Have a good Bye.